Welcome to Park Media. I'm your host today, Vince Emanuele, and we are joined by Ben Burgess, who is a philosophy professor and the author of Give Them an Argument, Logic for the Left. He is also the host of the podcast, Give Them an Argument, which is also a YouTube program, so check it out. Welcome to the program, Ben. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me, Vincent. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you located, man? Uh, I am actually, uh, at this moment, I'm in uh, Roscommon County, Michigan, so I'm basically in the middle of the woods. Right on, right on. Where's that located in the state? Uh, it's, uh, so it's about two hours north of Lansing. Okay, right on. So it's, it's like, it's like not, um, it's like another, yeah, it's like about the midway point between like the Lansing area and like Traverse City around there. Right on. Did you grow up there? Uh, not quite. I mean, I grew up in, uh, I grew up in, in Michigan and in East Lansing and, uh, this is, um, so this is like a little bit of ways from, you know, from, from where we, where we grew up, but not, you know, not too far off. Oh, but you're a Michigan guy. Oh yeah. Okay. Right on. Did you, uh, how did you get involved with left politics? Well, I guess, yeah, I guess I got involved with left politics. I mean, I'd, I'd had those views for a long time, uh, but, you know, it wasn't really like, you know, it didn't really come out of my life in any way except for, you know, arguing with people at the bar and on Facebook, you know, uh, up until like, you know, 2015 maybe. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I'm. that's a little bit of an oversimplification. There was some stuff before that, but like, you know, not for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I'd really, you know, like, you know, way back when, you know, I was involved in like, you know, organizing anti-war protests and, you know, my early twenties and stuff like that. But, you know, for, for a very long time, you know, I'd, I'd been, you know, I really hadn't been very politically active at all. Um, and then, you know, and, and then I guess it's, it's like the same story as a lot of people. I think the first Bernie campaign, you know, uh, really activated me. And then, you know, I, I joined, uh, I joined DSA during all of that, you know, I was pretty active in that. I was involved in the, um, uh, adjunct, uh, like the adjunct professors union at, at, at Rutgers, you know, around the same time. Um, and then, uh, and then I ended up, um, writing that, uh, that first book, give them an argument, uh, which was really like, I had been writing a, an academic book about logic and, uh, and I'd been, I guess, posting about it regularly. So my friend Doug Lane, uh, approached me and asked if I want to write something about logic and politics for, uh, for zero books. And, you know, I had to like really think about it for a while. Like I wasn't sure what that would look like. Uh, but then, you know, but then I ended up deciding it would be fun. And I thought, you know, whatever, I mean, I don't think anybody's really going to read this, but whatever, it'd be fun to write. And, uh, and then, all of the other kind of lefty media stuff sort of fell out of that. Okay. Right on. Did you, was your family political? Um, not in the sense of being like, especially, you know, politically active or anything like that. I mean, my parents both had been, you know, they were both students at, you know, Michigan state during the Vietnam era. And, you know, they'd, they'd been involved in some political stuff back then. Um, but, uh, you know, but not, you know, not in any kind of ongoing way. I mean, although, although I will say, like, I, I can pinpoint the first political conversation I ever had in my life, which was, uh, would have been when I was four years old, uh, was, uh, and I can tell you exactly what it would have been, uh, which would have been uh, the day after election day in 1984. 
And I, I don't know what I thought an election was at four years old, but like I, I understood there had been something called an election the day before uh, and that it was something that somebody won. So, or I, I must have understood that much because I remember like waddling downstairs, my dad sitting at the uh, dining room table reading the newspaper and I say, who won? And I just, I, I still remember this just look of utter disgust and contempt on his face of Wigan. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think of the first political memory I had as you as you were saying that I would say probably the Gulf War. I was born in 84. So probably the Gulf War parents, stay at home mom who worked part time jobs, dad who was a union iron worker. Um, yeah. I would say probably the Gulf War 91 and then probably the L.A. riots, because in yeah, our sure. in our neighborhood, there was like a bunch of people running around worried that there were going to be riots. Um, mm-hmm. So largely like a Italian uh, mm. Croatian Serbian diaspora of people who uh, all of a sudden became like rabidly reactionary within the course of like less than a generation. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so yeah. that was probably my, and then I remember Ross Perot with the big, big ears sure. as like a little kid. I was like, who's this guy with the big ears that everybody hates? Cause every time the TV was on, people would be talking about why he shouldn't run and all the rest. But that, those are like my first political memories. So, so you did grow up with like some politics. They were, like you said, your parents yeah. were in the in university during uh, Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. You, how did you get into like you said that uh, you mm-hmm. had had these sort of political views for a while? Where did that come from? Yeah, well, I mean, partially, you know, partially from my parents, partially from, um, I mean, I you know, you mentioned the Gulf War just now, and and so having. Um, like sort of just being there, I guess I was like just about old enough for that, that kind of the combination of having parents who had anti-war views and having like just being in this like sea of jingoism, you know, that existed in the U.S., you know, when, when the um, the Gulf War was going on, which is actually like to the point that it's like kind of hard to remember or believe now, you know, when, when you try to reconstruct like quite what that was like. Yeah. Uh, you know, was was probably enough to, um, you know, to make me feel, um, you know, very alienated from from all that, and and you know, interested in learning more about radical politics. You know, I, I remember, you know, I remember reading. Uh, I still remember what it looked like—a copy of like the Communist Manifesto that I got out of my middle school library. Uh, you know, and, uh, and you know, and I, I, you know, whatever, like all the. All the stuff that you probably expect from a lefty of my, you know, generation that I'd, you know, read Noam Chomsky and stuff like that. Um, but um, the Croatian thing, by the way, is kind of funny. My that you that you mentioned that since my, uh, my that's where my mom's family is from. Oh, right on. Yeah, right on. Yeah, that's on my mom's side as well. Her dad. Everybody else is from Italy. A few generations removed. Um, you said you were organizing during, what did the, what did the anti-war organizing look like? Were you, so you were in university at that time? Uh, the second Gulf War, the invasion. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, during this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To be clear. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was in, I was finishing up. Actually, I would have graduated by then if, if I'd gotten out on time, but I took like a year off, you know, in the middle and transferred twice and, you know, whatever. So, you know, I mean, I, I didn't graduate until, you know, I was like, 23 and a half, you know, so, uh, because of that though, I was, uh, I was still in college when, um, you know, during the lead up to the invasion of Iraq and I was, I was going to, um, Aquinas college in Grand Rapids. Um, and then, you know, I was 
going back, you know, a lot of weekends to, you know, the Lansing area where I grew up. Um, and so I was involved in stuff in both, uh, in both Grand Rapids and Lansing. So for example, um, there was, well, there were like, there was a huge, the greater Lansing network against the war in Iraq, Lanawi organized this like giant, um, you know, anti-war uh, march on the uh, on the state capitol, you know, with with uh, you know with thousands of people, and uh, like we went out of in like January two thousand and three, something like that, and like the and also uh, George W. Bush uh, visited Grand Rapids around that same time, which which was absolutely insane. Um, I I'd actually had a uh, like I, I bought a. I didn't buy it. I don't remember. Somebody got it for me somehow. Like I had a ticket to go see him. So I had some like vague plan of heckling him or something, but then like, I just stupidly didn't like take off my buttons and they didn't let me in. You know? So, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I went to the protest, you know, which was, you know, uh, which was completely insane in itself, as you can imagine. Cause it's like grand rapids. They're not really used to that stuff. And, sure. uh, and so the combination of all of the like local and state police they brought in and the, uh, uh, the secret service and, you know, everything, you know, it was like, um, you know, it was like a really, it was like a really extreme overreaction to like what was essentially just people like, you know, walking down the street yelling stuff. You could have completely ignored it. It would have been fine. We had a similar interaction with the Clinton campaign in 2008 when she came to LaPorte, Indiana to speak at like a high school gymnasium and there were four of us who got in because we told them that we were vet. Well, we are veterans, but we told them that we were vets and some guy started screaming at us for cutting in line. And then my friend turned around and said, you know, I'm a veteran man to kind of pull the vet card in this like poor liberal cat who had like his Hillary Clinton (laughs) baseball cap on. Like he felt bad and he started apologizing and I I felt like shit. I was like, come on, man. Like we, we got in, almost got booted out several times. People were screaming, yelling. It was really, I mean, it was like to go back to 2008 and listen to her speeches on the campaign rally, um, I think would be shocking for people to go back and listen to some of that. And I don't know how much these kind of like smaller uh, sort of junkets were filmed or yeah. anything like that. But man, like it was some pretty, re- it was, she was up there with Evan Bayh, former yeah. uh, senator here in Indiana and just a, a wild crowd. What what did uh, yeah. what, what did you make of like, so how do I put this? You said that you kind of like fell out of being involved. You got back yeah. involved in 2015. Yeah. What what did that look like? Like what, what was the reasoning behind that? And what did you make of just like the movement and the, the organizations you were yeah. interacting with? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of it, I think quite a lot of what happened there is in between like when I'd kind of fallen out of, uh, of being involved in most of this stuff, which was like certainly by like 2006 sometime, I think, you know, I, I, I was, I, I was uh, no longer really, you know, involved in, in any of this stuff or certainly much less so, um, you know, like, like I'd, I'd go, uh, I would, so, I mean, I was a member in my, uh, in my mid twenties, I was a member of the, um, uh, of the uh, socialist party. And, uh, and so like, I'd, I'd, I'd go like by the, by the time, that time in 2006, like I'd go to, socialist party michigan meetings in ann arbor but like that was like really like i had very little sense of like that this was actually like tied in any meaningful way with like any political project that was going to go anywhere it was like it's like whatever it's like i'd I'd go so i could like 
talk about politics with my friends and get high after and whatever, you know, like that, that was kind of, the, you know, <laughs> that was kind of the extent of it by then. And so when I moved away for grad school, you know, I just completely dropped off. Um, right Where'd you and, go to grad school, Ben? Uh, Florida. Oh, okay. uh, University of Miami. Right. I mean, I, I'd actually, to be clear, I'd gone, I was already in grad school. I, I got a, my master's at uh, Western Michigan Kalamazoo, but then I went to, uh, moved to Florida for my PhD program. So, uh, so yeah, at that, at that point, I just completely dropped off. You know, I, I would, um, you know, like really, you know, like most, most of what I did politically was like read, you know, Glenn Greenwald columns and salon and, you know, use them as, you know, cheat sheets to argue with my liberal friends at the bar about drones, you know, like those, those that's, you know, that's what I was doing. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I think like I would have at various times over the years um, in between then and, and that first Sanders campaign, like I would have the itch, you know, that's like, oh, I should really like be more involved. I should be doing something. Um, but I think, I think the reason that I never really did to to any meaningful extent is just that it all seemed like it wasn't really obvious, at least to me, what, uh, you know, like, 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 you know, what to be involved with, because, and I think that's really a function of the fact that none of it really seemed to be going anywhere or accomplishing anything. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, I, I could have, you know, I could have joined any one of an alphabet soup of, you know, socialist organizations or whatever, but like none of that, you know, like, like it just didn't really, you know, I'd have the thought and look into it and think about it. But I was like, eh, you know, uh, and then, um, and then I guess I should say later on in the years immediately before I finally did, you know, join the DSA and campaign for Bernie and all that stuff, uh, you know, for well, at least three of those years, uh, I was out of the country, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, my wife and I were living in uh, South Korea. Uh, so, so that, which is also an important part of the story, because things were starting to happen at that point, uh, you know, certainly with, uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street and, and, and the first flickerings of, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, you know, in, you know, Ferguson, all that stuff, you know, but, but I, um, you know, I mean, I was literally not there for a lot of that stuff. You know, I was, I was on the other side of the world. Um, but, you know, like feeling, you know, feeling much more of the pull of, you know, of I, sh I should really do something to, you know, to support all of this. Uh, and then, um, and then by, um, yeah, I mean, I was in, yeah, I was in Korea for, for like a year and then I was, you know, back in Miami for a couple of years and, and then, um, uh, and then, well, you know, the woman who was then my wife and I, you know, moved back to, you know, back to Korea, you know, for a couple of years, I got another teaching job there. And, and then I was back, I was in, um, well, I spent a semester uh, substitute teaching uh, back, back home in like the, you know, like Lansing area public schools, uh, since neither of us had an academic job, we got back and, and that was, that was, uh, you know, as much fun as you'd think it would be. Right. And, and then, uh, and so I got this job in New Jersey at uh, Rutgers, uh, you know, which was originally just like, hey, we need somebody to like fill a couple classes uh, that we can't, uh, you know, we can't do with, uh, you know, that, you know, we don't have enough people here, you know, here for us. So like, what's, you know, this would be a good chance for somebody to like, you know, to, to visit for a semester and teach a couple classes and, you know, and, 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 
you know, kind of visit the department for the, you know, for that time and whatever. And I, I jumped at it because, uh, because what I was, you know, I, I was so desperate for, you know, to go back to that, you know, because uh, this, you know, the semester of, you know, of, of sub in and all that, you know, and, um, you know, living, you know, Jen and I living with my parents and all that, you know, like, like I didn't want to do that anymore, obviously. So I jumped at it, even though I kind of knew that like, there was absolutely no way that what they were offering me was going to be enough to like pay the bills or, or anything like that. So, uh, so there's a while I was, I was sort of hustling and doing, you know, two or three jobs at one, you know, like I was, I was like doing the stuff at Rutgers and I was doing a little online, you know, adjuncting elsewhere and I was doing some tutoring. So, um, there with, with, uh, you know, this Russian family, we were like all always like half joking, you know, we're like probably part of the Russian mafia or something. It was like a really, it was a, it was a very, very strange, like how, like really strange actually. Like they had like parrots in every room of the house and there was like a, a, a suit of armor by the front door, you know, <laughs> I, 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 uh, but, uh, you know, but, but sort of hustling to do all this stuff, obviously, you know, made me want to be, you know, not that I wouldn't anyway, you know, because of my politics, but, you know, certainly made me want to be involved in the uh, adjunct uh, union efforts, you know, and, and so, um, and so I was doing that and I was doing the DSA stuff and, and the two were, you know, the two were, were linked to each other. Like I've like for a while, you know, when central New Jersey DSA blew up, you know, it sort of went very suddenly around, like after the election, it went from being like the same five people always looking at each other, you know, across like the table, you know, wherever, you know, wherever we met to, uh, to, to there'd be like 50 people at a meeting or something. And so, um, and so I, like, I got the, you know, I got the union to, you know, let us meet in like the basement of the union hall or whatever. Um, so I was doing all of that, you know, during my, um, you know, during my time at Rutgers, kind of leading up to uh, the leading up to the media stuff, getting to the point where where it was so time consuming that it you know it, it cut into some of the rest of that stuff, and then and then we you know we moved again for another job anyway. What was Korea like? What was it like teaching there? Yeah, so I taught the two different jobs I had in Korea were uh, right after I got out of grad school, I had a year of uh, teaching at the University of Ulsan, which is in uh, the uh, the far, uh, it's like the far southeastern uh, coast of, of Korea. Uh, I'm, you know, my, my childhood training is so strong that, you know, that I, I have, uh, you know, Korea is not at all shaped like a midden, but I, re- I really want to whip out my hand and, you know, point out, you know, where, where it is <laughs> relative to the map of Korea. Uh, and, uh, so it's like the opposite end of the, the corner from, from Seoul, you know, it's where most people actually, you know, I think at least half the population of the country lives in the greater Seoul area, which is almost like almost up at the border with, uh, North Korea, which is, you know, part of the broad, well, you know, part of the reason that's always so tense, you know, that if, you know, cause if there was ever a war, like, you know, half the population would be like right there. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that's like, Ulsan is like a very, it's like an, it's it's an industrial town. Uh, it's like a million or so people, and you know there are just I was uh, so I was teaching at the university, which like a lot of universities in Korea, um, you know really pushes uh, you know English, and and so like they'll even like have like university policy, you know the students have to take a certain percentage of their coursework and classes taught in English, uh, and a certain you know percentage of the coursework in their major, you know, stuff taught in English. So they have a sort of rotating cast of, of every, um, 
uh, of, you know, every, every department just about, you know, would have like the one, uh, you know, Westerner on staff to, you know, teach classes in that subject uh, in English. And so I was that guy for a year in Olson. And, you know, I, I didn't, you know, most people I knew there were there to, uh, uh, like every once in a while, I'd, I'd meet somebody from the military, but the closest military base is Busan, which is like a, uh, it's like, I don't know, like an hour away, you know, it's around there, but like most, most English speakers in, in Olson were, uh, were there to teach English, you know, but there were like enough of those to support like, you know, half a dozen expat bars and, you know, but it was all, you know, which, which were, it was always like cheers, you know, like you feel, you know, like I said, it's a small enough community that you'll show up and everybody knows who you are. Right. Uh, and, and that was great. And then I was like, like, I loved, I loved living there. Um, you know, like it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and then, and then I was back in Florida, you know, for, for a couple of years. And then I, I came back to, uh, uh, Yonsei university in Seoul. There was a, um, they have something called uh, Underwood International College, which is a program at Yonsei where people can take all the courses in English for the first two years, you know, so it's a very, um, you know, it's, it's much less, you know, culturally, you know, felt much less like, you know, like being in Korea because it's such a, you know, such a American and Canadian whatever bubble. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, it was, it was good. I mean, it, it's like, uh, it was out in Songdo, which is, well, actually, I mean, it wasn't unlike later living in central New Jersey, which is to say that, like, there's nothing there, but at least you can hop on the train and be in New York, and it's kind of the same thing for Seoul. Right. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it, it was, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed, you know, I mean, I enjoyed living there, uh, you know, obviously, you know, as far as everything, you know, we were talking about, you know, it was very disconnected from all that, sometimes frustratingly so, but, you know, I mean, it, it was, a, it was a great, um, I mean, like the actual experience of living in, and, and teaching there uh, was a lot of fun, you know, and, and uh, we, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure anybody who's ever seen me on YouTube, in fact, I'm amazed that it hasn't happened yet, has heard meowing in the background at some point. Uh, so our, our, uh, our cat and our much less talkative dog, you know, we both got, you know, well, while we're in Korea, so I always call them the Koreans, you know, it's like, oh, right <laughs> we're going to go away over the weekend, you know, who's going to take care of the Koreans, you know? <laughs> What did, uh, what was the political scene like over there? I mean, was there yeah, like I mean, union activity? I mean, what was their social movement, student movement type thing? Uh, there is. Uh, so Korea up until the, uh, sometime in the eighties, I think, you know, was, was mostly run by like a series of military dictators. Um, and, uh, which, which is like a weird thing to remember, you know, when you read about the Korean war and stuff, that's like, no, I mean, this is, uh, you know, democracy came later, right? But, you know, that's, that's clearly not what this is about. Uh, but, uh, and there was like an extremely like militant uh, labor movement that was, that was along with student organizing stuff, part of what, you know, brought that down. And then I, I mean, you get these like weird, like re residues of the previous situation, like, um, so, I mean, that job at the University of Ulsan, there was like a clause in my contract that said I wasn't allowed to be involved in political activity, uh, you know, while, while I was there, which I assume is something that was probably, like, you know, is probably just like leftover language that was probably in there since the 70s or something, you know, but, right. uh, um, but there are, there are residues of that uh, that are more significant, like, uh, like they do have some, uh, 
like they do have some like really like heavy duty McCarthyite kind of laws that are still on the books that are occasionally enforced. Uh, you know, like like it's it's officially, you know, like like pra- you know like praising North Korea, you know, which in a saner society would be a crime that would be punished with ruled eyes. You know, is uh, is like against the law uh, in uh, in South Korea. And I think usually when people are busted for it, like the judges get embarrassed and kind of let them off, you know, but, uh, right. but that is a, that is a thing, right? So they so feel bad all... for the person praising North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so there are, there are those like very, very repressive uh, residues uh, and, and sometimes more the residues. So like the, the former uh, president of, of South Korea, who was, uh, she was, uh you know it's it's been yeah i mean it's it's been i guess several years at this point since she left office but you know but who was there uh when you know when i was there the uh, the second time was actually the uh the daughter of of the last uh, military dictator who who ruled before and somebody who well i mean it's kind of like bolsonaro in brazil you know it's the same sort of thing you know that, that she would still kind of defend his legacy and there was a lot of like very militant labor stuff going on when I was there because she was sort of trying to do all this very like uh, Thatcherite kind of stuff with the, uh, you know, the rail service and, you know, going after the unions. Um, but then, you know, there, you know, there were, there were various scandals that, that happened with her and, 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 and she left and, and it was, um, and then, you know, the new person, you know, who's, uh, who's in there is, you know, uh, certainly not like any, you know, any great leftist or something, but, uh, but somebody who you know, is better than that and, and is, uh, and was like very interested in like pursuing, you know, peace, uh, you know, with, with the North. So like a lot of the stuff, you know, when, you know, when Trump took us right up to the brink of, uh, of war with North Korea, and then, you know, that had, an apparently sudden change of heart, uh, and then patted himself on the back for for not doing it. Uh, you know, like like I think a lot of that was the was the influence of the president of South Korea. You know, who's trying to push you know some sort of you know peace negotiations and all this. But like it's a really weird situation. Uh, like when I was there the first time, which was uh, 2010 2011, uh, there was a point when uh, when. Uh, there were some U.S. South Korean military exercises that involved uh, that that included, uh, you know, like shelling this unoccupied, you know, uh, area. But that's that's uh, that's disputed, you know, between North and South Korea. And so, you know, this was a very, you know, intentionally, I think, provocative thing. Uh, but then, because the the current, you know, great leader in uh, in North Korea had just come in. And so I think he felt like he had something to prove. So, uh, so he, it was very provocative, but he could have responded to it by, you know, by just, uh, you know, firing a few shells back into the ocean and, you know, and like make it a fiery statement, which would have been much more normal. Uh, but instead uh, they, they shelled a uh, occupied, you know, island that, you know, again, I think is disputed, but, you know, is, is like lots of people were actually in and, you know, a couple of them, you know, a couple of them died and, and a shit ton of people, uh, fled from, you know, from, from Seoul to the south of the country, like over the weekend, because they were afraid that there was, you know, going to start be shooting. And, and I remember like getting out of teaching, like a leaving, you know, leaving class. And I got a text from a friend of mine in Seoul saying, uh, turn on the TV, the North Koreans are attacking us. Okay. And then like, I, I remember walking by this like student, uh, like study lounge. Uh, and in the student lounge, 
you know, the TV's on and it's just so jarring, you know, as an American to, to walk by this because there were, you know, like the students are just sort of, you know, talking or flirting or doing homework, half paying attention to what's on the TV. And you can see like those plumes of smoke rising up from Young and Pearl Island, you know, on, on the TV, but it's just like not a big deal to them. And even like later out, like that night, you know, I was out like out at like one of these expat bars and also on the Purple Haze and, you know, I was talking to the bartenders, like a <laughs> young guy, you know, and he was like, oh yeah, you know, I hope it doesn't escalate because then I'd be like called up, you know, through reserves. So it's like, yeah. how are you not more agitated about this? Hey man, <laughs> my friends overseas have been saying the same thing to me for nine fucking months. They've been like, hey, what is going on over there? And I'm just like, I'll show them outside because we live in like the midtown area of our city. <laughs> There's people going in and out of the bars, bikers rolling up. I'm like, yeah, it's whatever. They're just like, they can't even fucking believe it. Especially my friends in uh, Vietnam, Australia, yeah. New Zealand. They're just like it's normal. I'm like, yeah, there's just sirens all day. Just, you know, bodies to the morgue. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Vietnam has, has been killing it. I mean, like they've, they like the, the rate of uh, like, like the rate in Vietnam is insane. It's like, it's, it's, it's like non-existent. Yeah. What do you think? That's an inch. It's jumping around a little bit because I wanted to follow more with your story, but I am interested to pick your brain on this. I was listening to a uh, it was like a short little video David Harvey was doing about China's yeah. response to this. Um, how much do you think we could take away from countries like Vietnam, China? Of course, widely different political contexts in yeah. both. But but I wonder what, over the last nine months, has it changed the way you've thought about politics or even the way that we would structure society? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, China, I think, is is a little bit more of a mixed record, uh, you know, because, because I don't think they were handling it well at the beginning, but then they really got their act together. Um, uh, you know, Vietnam's like, I think like this, you know, I mean, if, if it's not, uh, I guess technically, I think it's like number two or three or something, but it's like, yeah. you know, like Vietnam is separated from like the number two or number one. I think, I think it's, I think it's number two and, and number one is like maybe Taiwan or something, but whatever, it doesn't, uh, uh like I, I think both of them are so low that they're like probably separated by like one dead guy yeah uh you know and uh and so that that's obviously been amazing uh and then uh and and actually also like while we're going through those countries i mean cuba uh yeah. Yeah. you know is i mean it's not as amazing as vietnam but like you know for the sake of contrast like you know uh ingham county michigan you know where my parents live has 242,000 people and 128 of them have died of the coronavirus. Uh, Cuba has about 10 million and 136 have died of coronavirus. And, you know, I understand it's an Island, but, you know, then again, look at, uh, look at Puerto Rico, that's an Island, you know, and, and the the numbers have been horrendous there. Um, So what can you conclude about all this? Well, I, I think the good news is that you don't need to have that, uh, the, you know, and I don't want to clump all these together. These are like very different countries, you know, but, uh, but you don't need to have like the, the kind of degree of authoritarianism that, you know, that, that some of these countries have in their political systems in order to have the good things about their response. And the way that we know that is we can look at, at other countries that, um, so, uh, so Taiwan, I just mentioned, or South Korea, right? South Korea, uh, you know, has been, you know, it's, it's, it's imperfect, but I mean, God, they've been doing like unfathomably great compared to us. Uh, and so I think that part of that is that, 
even though like some of these are, you know, some of these places, right? South Korea, Taiwan, you know, these were founded as like, you know, right-wing anti-communist, you know, whatever, you know, states. Uh, but that said, they do have like a degree of social democracy that's 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 unfathomable to Americans. Like like in uh, uh, in Taiwan, you know, the the Ministry of Health uh, just mailed masks, you know, to every single citizen. Uh, you know, it's it's just so it's so different. It's hard to as wrap we your defund mind. our fucking post office. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, right. And and he, and like Vietnam, I remember you know being struck. Uh, you know, being struck by early on, you know, in like April or something, uh, there was a point in uh, in Philadelphia, I want to say, where where there was a there were, there was these these images that came out of uh, you know they they'd done some kind of citywide mask mandate uh, and uh, and there was this uh, young black guy who was like pulled off the train by a bunch of transit cops. You know, it was like it was like five of them or something to you know pull this guy off for you know for not wearing a mask, and at the same time, I remember seeing this picture from from Vietnam of a cop or soldier, or some sort of uniform person, like literally standing in a street corner passing out masks. Like, it was like, well, that's the that's the contrast, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and and even you know, and even South Korea, uh, like South Korea had uh, has. Uh, national health insurance. I, yeah. you know, like while while I was living there, you know, I mean, I was on, you know, I was on South Korean national health insurance because, you know, because I had a visa to let me work there. That was enough, you know, that was enough to be, you know, to be on that as a non-citizen. Um, and yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so it's um, Sergio and I have health care, but we went to a fucked up war to get it. I mean, yeah, yeah, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> so 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 when so. So when were you, when were you in the military? I was in from, uh, I, so I was born in 84, graduated high school in 02. I was a senior oh. when 9-11 happened. No sense of any of that stuff though. I, I, I fucked yeah. off in school. Wasn't, you know, my pa- father wasn't particularly patriotic, but I, uh, I joined in 02. So I went to boot camp in September of 02, school of infantry in January and ripe and ready by March 1st for the March 19th invasion. Um, okay. went over with the Marine Corps first tour and then went back again in 04, 05, uh, same unit, same thing. Uh, first battalion, seventh Marines out of 29 palms. And then, uh, yeah, that was around the time I got politicized, man. I mean, the thing that got me politicized cause I fucked off in school a lot. I mean, I did, yeah. I really like barely graduated high school type shit, like very dumb, uh, in school didn't give a shit at all. And, yeah. um, yeah, it wasn't particularly political. My dad was an iron worker, had really good class politics, you know, kind of anti-authoritarian yeah. kind of streak to him where it was like, don't trust authority. But yeah. was in the Marine Corps, and uh, my friend from Kentucky uh, came from a Southern Baptist family, so he was like rabidly, uh, rabid yeah. atheist. <laughs> um, he turned me on to Bill Hicks, and I started listening to Bill Hicks, and I was like, man, I was like, it just started... Like, at the same time, smoking a lot of pot, eating some yeah. mushrooms, like, just thinking about shit, you know. Um, but that was what got things rolling. And then I came home from my first deployment. My friends were all coming back from their first year at university. So yeah. they were like, have you ever heard of Noam Chomsky? Have you ever heard of Howard Zinn? And I was like, no, who the fuck are these guys? And <laughs> they sent me back uh, when I went back to the unit. And, uh, yeah, that was it, you know. It was like, turn me on. And once I was turned on, I was like, 
100% kind of balls to the wall. And then uh, after my second deployment, I refused to go on a third and probably only went on that second deployment just because I felt, you know, some camaraderie with the guys that we served with. But yeah, after that, I decided, fuck it. I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. And uh, refused to go on a third deployment. And then right around that time, I was in communication with uh, people from the anti-war movement. And they kind of hooked me up with IVW, Iraq Veterans Against the War at the time. So I just kind of yeah. like got out and immediately got involved, and which was pretty wild because I had no idea what the left was or anything like sure, that. Sure. And it was, to be honest with you, to, to wrap it into a yeah. conversation about socialism, I was, uh, the thing that turned me off about socialism when I first got involved mm-hmm. wasn't the, the ideas. It was the people who were involved mm-hmm. with the, mm-hmm with the socialist organization. So my friend Christian Parenti uh, calls it like an inoculation that people get when they first get exposed. Cause it's like, yeah, I was, it was just, I was very turned off by it, man. It was like people hitting you with the newspapers and people hitting you with like all kinds of jargon. And here I was like 22 years old, barely graduated high school. Didn't know what the fuck these people were talking about. And they're like, (laughs) Oh, you still have imperialist uh, views, you know? And they're Uh, like, where are you wearing, where are you wearing that American (laughs) flag hat? And I was like, like I had an American flag bandana on at this. It was wild. It's a good story. Actually, I got invited to go to Iowa state university, give this big speech to all these students and again i'm nervous as shit never done much stuff like this at the time and i wore this american flag bandana because of course as a young 22 year old pissed off veteran i'm like what what do other pissed off veterans look like they look like like this they wear their fatigues they put a bandana on they smoke cigarettes that's what they do um and i gave this speech and afterward the kid who invited me was like pulled me to the side at this university pub and he was like hey man he's like you got to take off that American flag bandana. And I was like, wow, what's going on? He's like, you know, you, you still have some imperialism in your heart or something wild. I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so it was like kind of shit like that all the way to, I don't know if I even want to say this because I don't, I don't want to start problems with anybody because it's so far removed, but there was an, a socialist organization that existed back in 2008 that when I was really getting involved with IVAW, like now going to the conferences, strategy retreats, all this kind of stuff, There was like a a group of socialists who were working into the organization no longer exists, but they were working with some of the veterans to kind of like stack the board of directors with socialists, like kind of in this sort of like in a way that I didn't understand at the time that this was like something that people did, you know. Um, So that kind of shit, you know, it's a long answer to your to your really short question of when the fuck I served. But uh yeah, no, it's, right, like, it's, it's actually like one of the reasons why I'm so interested to interview you because of all the people, like I have been sort of firmly entrenched in a lot of this work and working with all yeah. the different movements and then pulling way back four years ago when Bernie ran and saying, okay, nothing I've seen is working too well. We need to sort of like dig in deep at the local level. Like we opened a space because there's no more fucking union halls around so there's no more like community centers or places for people to go to or gather or like just get to know each other let alone like using the space for political organizing efforts but it's like one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is because I'm getting exposed now to like a whole new generation of leftists that I never heard of like when uh your friend passed uh Michael Brooks I actually didn't like I knew kind of who he was and then people were like you do realize that like he's got a hundred thousand follow like all this stuff and I was like fuck no I'm like I didn't I don't know that guy they were like have you ever heard of Ben Burgess I'm like 
No, I didn't know <laughs> You know, and it's kind of crazy that like there's this left like ecosystem that exists. And sometimes it's almost like the social media world where if you're in your little sort of corner of the yeah. left, like you might yeah. not even hear of all this other stuff. But I was really impressed with um, and I'll just kind of let you riff on this, but I was really impressed with what Jacobin was doing leading up to 15 with Bernie worked on the Bernie campaign at the time. Didn't think he had a shot to win, but saw it as an organizing opportunity of a magnitude I had never seen before. Um, you know, and, and so since then got a little more to, turned on to like after this last election too, to like what Jacobin was doing, what you were doing, what all these other sort of people on the left were doing. And uh, the, the way that you talk about the issues, like bringing up stuff like cancel culture, like I live in Michigan city, yeah. Indiana, man, like, most of the people I bring around to left politics or political events, they're like, ah, Vince, like I agree with the, the issue, but like, I can't see myself hanging with these people, man. And I'm just yeah. like, Oh fuck. <laughs> like, and it's killed me for years, you yeah. know? And finally I came across your stuff and I'm like, no shit. I'm like, here's a cat who, um, definitely gets it. Like gets a lot of the stuff that, that I've seen over the years. That's really drove me nuts not for like ideological reasons but like straight up because it turned people off that like i wanted to bring into the movie yeah, well, that, that flag bandana example is is just perfect uh you know like because because what's like what possible you know what could be going through somebody's mind you know like even apart from the whole question of like how we actually should think about um you know, American patriotism and that, and that symbolism and, you know, and, and how that relates to, you know, to being, you know, internationalist and, you know, anti-war and all that stuff, you know, like, like whatever you, you know, whatever you think about it uh, and, and, you know, whatever, what I think about it is, is that I think it would like make a lot more sense strategically to, um, you know, like symbols can mean, you know, sim like symbols mean whatever people want them to mean. That's how symbols work, you know? So, uh, you know, you, it, it makes more sense to me to, um, you know, to, to try to, you know, to reclaim, you know, some of that stuff, but, uh, but whatever you think about that, right? Like, why would that be, you know, like, like, like the fight you pick, like, 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 how, how is that, you know, like what you decide, you know, you, you want to do, you know, cause it's, it's just such a, it's just such an obvious, like it's, it's completely meaningless and, except all you're doing is you're signaling that you know that you're that you're a like distinct subculture and like anybody who who wants to hang out with you has to like identify with that like distinct subculture by like not identifying to with like what symbols mean to you know to most people right. and and, and it, it just seems like if the purpose of politics is to try to persuade you know a majority of people to to agree with you you know so you can make change then that just seems like you know it, that just seems so perverse but then like you know then if the purpose of politics is just to uh exhibit your own like moral commitment to you know to to opposing whatever's going on and and to um and and then to like test like the commitment of others you know and and there's no particular goal of actually changing anything it's it's just a you know it's it's just a performance you know that like it's it's it like it, it's just a way of acting out like your moral feelings about all the horrible shit that's going on 
uh, then it makes perfect sense. Yeah, right. Like, like just just come up with all these like weird little tests that aren't going to mean anything to most people, <laughs> you know, and, right. and try to, you know, try to find ways to, uh, you know, to to enforce those. Uh, and and I tend to think that where that comes from, you know, like to to kind of get that, you know, that we we have to see that the the American left has been so marginal you know, for, for so long, right. You know, like, like that's kind of what we've been talking about, both in terms of, you know, your initial reaction to, you know, people trying to like sell you newspapers that, you know, by the time this was happening in like 2003, 2004, whatever, uh, you know, like, like that whole exercise is so weird, you know, like that, like, I think, I think socialists were the last people in 2004 who were still selling newspapers, like 1930s paper boys, you know, like, that's, uh, you know, read all about it, you know, like, and then, uh, and, and, you know, sort of trying to like sell you newspapers and like, you know, scheme to like take over the, you know, like staff of, of some anti-war group, you know, and, and it, it just, that whole that you know you had that like that instinctive bad reaction to that and you know and and I mean I I mean I was more used to that but I was also like that's also why back then I wasn't you know super you know I mean like that's that's around the same time that I started to like drift away from you know from all of this stuff um, but that that kind of left it's it's just formed at a time when it's not only that the left was like really distant from like ever getting to take power, but that it was so distant from it that like the very idea of talking in those terms, like almost seemed like fantasies, you know, like which, which are whatever. I mean, not that they didn't talk about it in those newspapers, but like they talked about it in those newspapers in a way that, you know, made it seem like even more of a fantasy, you know, cause it was like all like 1917 Russia reenactment or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so and even like even people who are better than that, you know, like like you know, we mentioned Noam Chomsky a couple of times in this conversation, and you know, I love Noam Chomsky. You know, I, I like I think that guy's like a saint. But uh, Uncle, but, no, Uncle no. yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, even more so now, like in the last couple of years, that you know, he's got like, yeah, I feel like Noam Chomsky, as long as I've been paying attention, has basically looked the same until like the last year or two, and. Uh, He's got that huge beard. Man, I, he, yeah. There are some, some of us have, have kindly passed along that it would be cool if he maybe did away with that beard. <laughs> <laughs> I won't even say any more about that. I know. Yeah, I mean. He, oh, but no, go ahead, because I am interested in what, you, what you're going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Now he kind of looks like he's he's this, like, like he looked like yeah, the the beard like aged him his like apparent age by like 50 years he looks yeah. like this this like bedraggled old wizard who just like hobbled back to his village after he was taken prisoner by a gremlin <laughs> or something you know but uh but but like chomsky and i love chomsky but if you read chomsky right like my friend daniel bessner always points out you know or, or like any leftist of that generation uh there's never at any point you know like chomsky is talking about how you know, the various, you know, nefarious structures of, you know, capitalism and U.S. imperialism work and, you know, has very perceptive things to say about this and a lot of appropriate moral indignation. Uh, but there's never a point when he was like, oh, if like a, you know, socialist government ever took power in the United States, 
how would we handle this stuff? You know, what, 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 what would our, you know, policy be with, you know, China or whatever. Right. And, and that's not, you know, that's not a knock on Chomsky exactly. It's, it's just that he's coming up at a time when like asking that question would have been like, Hey, what are you going to do when you ascend to the, you know, throne of the, you know, emperor of the galaxy, you know, like it's it's, it's just (laughs) silly, you know? And then, but the problem is because we're so used to that kind of sense of, of deep powerlessness, you know, like, like I was um, uh, just, just talking in the last episode of my show to uh, Natalie Wynn about this. And she was pointing out that like the, the weirdness of the fact that there are people, you know, um, far leftists who simultaneously think that Twitter and YouTube and all those should be like harsher and cracking down on like you know white supremacists or whatever uh that you know that they they should have like stricter censorship rules and also you know go around like openly saying we need to have like a violent you know insurrection in the streets as like a way of (laughs) achieving socialism it's like well hold on right if if we got like the stricter censorship that you want how would it not be used against this and i think the answer is the only way they don't think of that or they don't think about that is that they just assume that they're so marginal and so powerlessness that they just like wouldn't even rise to the level of the censors. And, and so that those kind of habits of, of, you know, marginality, I, I think are really killing us in a lot of ways, you know, because in the last few years, we finally got into a point where, you know, between Occupy and then the Bernie campaign, you know, it's still, it's still very marginal, but, uh, but it's, this stuff is part of what people think about when they think about politics in a way that it never really was before, right? Like they're like, or the last, the last glimmer of it, I guess, would have been that anti-war movement in 2003, you know, uh, that, you know, people were aware of that and they talk about that, but you know, like that, that's, you know, for the first time, like some kind of like left critique of, of, um, you know, inequality and all this stuff is, is like part of what people are thinking about when they think about politics. And so obviously, you know, we've got a incredibly long way to go, but like there are, there are real openings now in a way that there never were, you know, really essentially for, for decades, you know, like, like I, I don't even know since when, which is great, but we've got all these bad habits that are left over from, from that earlier time, you know, when we just sort of thought of ourselves as this definitionally marginal and powerless, you know, permanent opposition. And so if you don't actually think that you're going to be able to do anything, you know, you don't think that you're going to be able to convince a majority and, and, uh, and have some kind of successful, you know, movement, whether that's, you know, electoral or at the workplace or whatever it means, you know, that like that you don't think that, you know, victory is in the cards, uh, that it's really easy to just think that what politics is, is exhibiting the depths of of your commitment you know to to opposing all of this stuff and if that's what politics is it's very natural to spend all of your time kind of nitpicking other people's you know depths of commitment and and, and saying you know i mean whether that's like stupid shit on the level of you know of you've got imperialism in your heart because you've got a flag bandana to uh to uh, people, um, 
you know, I just mentioned contrapoints, you know, uh, Natalie Wynn, you know, people, uh, people getting mad at, uh, at Natalie because she like gave 10 seconds of voice work and video to somebody who has, you know, bad views, you know, that, that she, and she's expressed that she disagrees with this guy's views, but like, she won't like, you know, denounce him. And, uh, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that if you, that if you were at all worried, right? Like, I, I guess, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too rambly here. I'll, I guess I'll, I'll just, I'll just end with this example and kick it back to you, right? Like, like something I've spent a lot of time thinking about in uh, the last, uh, you know, in, in the last year, I guess, year and a half, is the last uh, DSA convention, Democratic Socialist American Convention in Atlanta. Um, there was, uh, as a, as a symptom of what we we're talking about, the fact that this stuff has broken through to the point where it's at least part of the discussion, uh, you know, Tucker Carlson did a segment uh, on, on the DSA convention on his show, which in itself is a great symptom because you know, he wouldn't have bothered attacking it two years ago. You know, I mean, I was a delegate at the DSA convention from New Jersey in, in 2017, and, you know, there certainly wasn't any... Uh, you know, Tucker Carlson certainly wasn't doing <laughs> segments attacking it because it wouldn't have risen to his notice, right? Right, you know, so, right. Uh, so that's great, right? But then, like, what his uh, what his segment was was looking at, you know, he was playing these clips of people at at the DSA convention doing things like reading these rules that, like, you're not supposed to clap, you're supposed to do like jazz hands or something because there could be theoretically it's possible that out of the thousand people in this room there could be like three who have like some rare you know condition where they might be especially sensitive to noise and uh and then and then people somebody's getting up to say no crosstalk you know for the same reason or but then that guy starts his that guy starts his harangue with hey guys no crosstalk so somebody else uh gets up to say hey guys is gendered language and so you know tucker has a lot to work with here and of course he's you know he's cherry picking he's a he's sure a sure like but also what gets me about this what i can't get over is that this was not some like breitbart hidden camera you know like sort of they smuggled out footage of people being crazy you know at the yeah. dsa <laughs> dsa was streaming this on purpose right you know yeah. so like which tells me that the people who are getting up and saying these things either like it just doesn't cross their mind like how would most people and i know sometimes when you use phrases like normal people or ordinary people people get their antenna up because they think you're saying something you're not but like all i mean here is most people who are not like immersed in the political subculture of the left you know whether you know male female gay straight whatever right most people who are not immersed in this particular subculture how would they react to this and it's either that doesn't occur to them or or they don't care or, or, or some combination of the two. And again, I think that's the that's the bad habits left over from that prolonged exile from real power that that we that people too many leftists have, have just learned to just not even think about that question. You know, they're like 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 we're we're not even, you know, it's just not even on our radar how this would read to most of the people that we're trying to appeal to. Yeah. No, I want I you raised so many points one and and i know we got to go because i know you got something yeah. coming up um well we yeah. could we could do another one in the future if yeah, you're up for, sure. for it um yep. 
For sure. Left in a much different position. I mean, even my fucking parents are about to join DSA. You know, we're starting a DSA chapter here in Northwest Indiana, largely because we've seen a lot of groups kind of fragmented in our region and trying to bring everybody under some kind of an umbrella, some common norms and so forth. Like that makes a lot of sense to us. Also gives us the opportunity to connect people throughout the country, throughout the region. You know, this is like, it makes a ton of sense. Um, there's also so much anarchist influence. I mean, mo- so in other words, so I came up, like the first people that I got connected with were people like Chomsky. So I, I'm indebted to him in a, in a way that that is very personal, but I also disagree with him. And, and actually one of his good friends, uh, who's also a friend of mine, Michael Albert, is, I mean, vehemently disagrees with Noam on, on a number of things, particularly, you know, f- for Michael, it's like we do need a vision we do need mm-hmm. to map out what that sort of looks like. And they've been arguing about this since 1962. Um, <laughs> so I, how would I say this? I think part of what you're saying is 100% correct, but I would say that ha, as uh, Albert FaceTimes me. <laughs> um, he, oh, shit. Oh, what I was going to say is I think with Chomsky, though, it might be even deeper than that. Like I think Gnome really does believe that we shouldn't necessarily try and map out too much. And I don't know how much of that comes from him thinking that the left doesn't have power though. It is interesting because post Chavez, you can see his tune kind of change and him try and sort of uh, form a different way of like interacting with those movements and the questions people had. And then of course, I think this has even grown more since um, 2015 with Bernie, but a lot of that anarchist influence, I remember thinking oh this is cool they're not as they're not as kind of uptight or like anti-social as the marxists um and i was like okay these these and they're doing you know at the time i'm thinking i'm in my 20s they're doing cool shit like they're locking on to stuff and they're actually doing like equating radical politics with radical tactics you know and being like oh okay so like this is better than the liberals just protesting the war this is better than the marxists who are handing out newspapers and then the occupy experience really sort of it killed it for oh. me because after, after I was involved with enough Occupy stuff, I was like, okay. Cause that was another one of those moments where some of the, I was working at a bar at the time here in Michigan city. Yeah. And it was one of the few times that I had been involved at that point uh, for about six years where like the ordinary people that I knew in Michigan city were like, Hey, what is this Occupy thing? Like I'm pissed at the banks. Like I'm pissed at the rich people. Like they, you know, very and then, like, and then you find out that like, if you're actually going to be involved with it, uh, every decision is made in a five-hour meeting that works on consensus yeah. and like, you know, yeah. Yes, that yep. dri- and then that drives you nuts. Someone coming from the military, someone also coming from like a working class background of like, you know, mm. when you're in certain jobs, you're just like, you get this shit done. All right, who's in charge? Who does this? Whatever. Mm. Uh, I go back and forth with Mike about this. We actually, Sergio and I just interviewed him about participatory economics and Sergio actually should have been the one interviewing because he's got a master's degree in economics and I'm just, I don't, you know, I just am asking him general questions. Um, you know what? You should have him on the program, Ben. I think oh, it would be cool for you to have him on the program. I think I you love, and him rapping would be really neat. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to have Michael Albert on and, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I think there are, uh, I think, I think with Paracon, uh, you know, there are things, there are things about the model that I like, but, um, but I mean, I, I actually do like, like it almost sounds like a joke, but I actually do take that objection super seriously that, um, that to, you know, most people 
would like rather shoot themselves than spend their entire lives, you know, in meetings. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, that, that sound that can kind of sound like flip or trivial, but like really like to my mind, a big part of, of the reason to, to move from, from capitalism to, to socialism, you know, like, like a big part of the benefit is that we can all like spend more time just on our lives, you know, outside of, you know, hustling for our daily bread and so, uh, you know, obviously we do need some kind of work, workplace democracy, but, uh, but we, we need to, you know, like, like we need to do it in a way that, you know, that we're not, uh, that we're not spending nine hours a week in meetings. <laughs> no, I, I go back and forth with Mike all this, about this all the time. And virtually everything he brings up, I'm always like, Mike, this is the world. This is your world. You yeah. want to talk politics from the time you get up. Like you could FaceTime, if you, if you wanted to FaceTime, Mike Albert tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Eastern time and talk with him for two hours about you just start it. He would do it. And I love him for that. But at the same time, I think your point is well taken. That's not everybody. All right, brother. No, no. I, I know that you actually have something coming up and I feel like an asshole for keeping you. No, no, no. It's, this, is, this, has been, this has been really fun. And, and I, I should say, by the way, there's a trying to remember, uh, but there's a clip uh, that I really like of Albert, uh, you know, where he's, um, he's speaking at some university and it, 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 it speaks to so much what we were just talking about. Uh, and, you know, all the people at the, you know, at the university, he's, he's speaking to. Oh, where they don't watch sports. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like who like, watches sports and it's just like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, Oh, how many of you are going to be at the big game? And everybody like laughs. It's like, okay. So like, how do you think you're going to organize like all these people who live here? It's the know? most a hey, Ben, I'll tell you this before I let you go. It, one of the yeah. craziest things about Mike is for a mad scientist who is quite literally in his room, like reading either quantum physics, which is what he was trained in or whatever the fuck he, you, you could talk to him about shit for days because he's like this, he's a big fucking like big into like physics and all this other shit. But he also gets stuff that a lot of like left intellectuals just don't. And I, I guess perhaps this is one of the reasons why I was so interested in speaking with yourself that it's just like, not that I perceive you as a mad scientist who just sits in your, in, in your room doing whatever, but it was like, I don't know. It was like, it's rare for, I think in my experience to come across people who just kind of pick that shit up really clearly, you know? So anyway, I, I appreciate you for what you do. Yeah, Appreciate that. Uh, let's do it again. Cool, man. Thanks for your time, Ben. You've been watching Park Media. I'm your host today, Vince Emanuele, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, thank you for watching and listening. If you think this program is worth a pack of cigarettes or a cheeseburger, you could become a Patreon for as little as $3 a month. The link is available at our website, parkmedia.org. That's P-A-R-C media.org. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel below. Also, you could find us on Instagram at parkmedia.org. Facebook at Politics, Art, Roots, Culture, and you could find me on Twitter at Vince Emanuele.